Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the next episode of Longkang Kitties. So right here, we have got John. Hello everyone. We have got Jerry. Hey guys. And we have got me, Citizen Dan. Who is missing today? Well, it's Angie and she's she's away on a plane in a faraway country. But do you know what this means, guys? Do you know what this means? This means we can have like a 100% testosterone, all men only discussion with our, you know, dainty little girl out of the picture. No, we're we... talking about No Nut November. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying that we can talk about boy stuff, oh, right? Okay. The real men stuff. Not even the boy stuff, the men mm. stuff, the adult stuff. The things that come where only three testosterone laden men in one room can talk about. What is that, John? Uh, so today we'll be talking about NS and the recent spate of deaths that is occurring throughout the throughout the year. La. To give you guys some context. Okay, can we qualify ourselves first before we, we give the audience context? Very quickly, just very quickly. Okay, so I, Dan Wong, am a, as they would say, a born and bred Singaporean. And I have not only served my NS, I have finished it. And I have also been in many a dangerous situation because of uh, my time in the army. What about you, Jerry? Uh, I've also served and I finished my NS this year. Yeah. Okay, I, I was a, I was an armor scout. What were you? Um, uh, I was a combat medic. And John? I also served my NS already. I still have my cycle. I need to go through. I was uh, the ammo loader in art, in artillery. That sounds quite dangerous, John. I mean, it's, heavy, it's, it's dangerous. The fucking thing is heavy as shit. And it's, it's just not pleasant uh, all around. Okay, so this this qualifies us, yes, I would dare say, to talk about NS. Because not only have we done it, we've also, you know, uh, risked life and limb for it. Thankfully, no no limb nor life was lost on our end. Yeah, the reason we are talking about NS is because Angie doesn't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, actually, she, was all, she knew that she wasn't able to come. Then she's, like, keep forcing this subject down our throats, right? She just keeps, hey, I vote I you guys to talk about NS, uh... Because she fucking hates those like uh, guys talking about NS, right? So yeah, man. What does she know? A N G. Hey, you know nothing, lah. Shut up, lah. Yeah, get make me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, your your turn to say something demeaning to Angie. I mean, come on, this is an all boys club. Come on, man. Angie, go draw something. Oh, you you. <laughs> it's a <bit> romantic. <laughs> uh, go draw something. Leave leave this to us. Go draw something. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> So we are, we, are, we are very saddened, you know, because uh, uh, all of a sudden, ever since 2012, the last, the last spate of, of uh, deaths to happen was in 2012. And then there was a big five-year gap uh, until the next spate of deaths happened. So we are just going to take a very objective look at what has happened and maybe share from our experiences uh, what, what we think the cause of these, these deaths are. And then maybe then we can move on to the larger picture. Things like uh, maybe whether there are any structural or systemic causes of the, these deaths or whether we think or, or some crazy theories that I think uh, some of us are brewing up in our heads right now. How about that? How's that sound? Okay. Sounds fantastic, Dan. <clears throat> John, you were saying uh, you, you wanted to give us some context. So, yeah, I think Dan already has done that. The From 2017, uh, September, all the way until now, right, there's been four deaths. right, And then the Prior to that, the, the, the previous time that we had such a so many loss of life right, in, in, in the national service was back in 2012, which also had four deaths in that year. So I think it just seems like a cycle, right? Uh, people get complacent, you know, and then once all these deaths start happening, then people wake up their idea and then they, they, they bolster up their, their SOP and whatever. And then we will have a couple of years of, you know, uh, abs- like complete safety. Mm. La, people will stop dying. And then after that, we will, we will get back into the cycle again. John, you're a- absolutely right. No? I'm looking at this uh, Wikipedia page right now. I give you a, I give you a, a, a rundown of the pattern. Uh. So the, the first spate of deaths that I see happening listed on the page was 2002-2003. Okay, after that, guess how many year gap there was? Uh, five. Exactly, right? Then uh, 2008, there's another spate of deaths. Right? And then after that, 2011... Uh, which is the 2011-2012 gap and then finally now we have this, this gap. So it, 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 it feels a bit like a stock market. Uh. It rises and it falls and it rises and it falls. Like, this is terrifying. It actually, it's quite normal uh, from what I understand. Uh, I actually read, the, I can't remember which book it was. I think it was written by Malcolm Gladwell and it was talking about 
when you want to launch something into outer space, right? When you want to launch a rocket, there's a whole bunch of SOP that the engineers and the scientists and the and the rocket scientists are supposed to adhere to. But what really happens, right, is that as the system progresses along, like it chugs along, people will actually start, slowly start to neglect pieces of the SOP for the sake of efficiency or convenience. Mm. And I think this is what typically happens in any system that is complacent. So only when they try to send an astronaut up to space and the shuttle explodes, then everybody wake up their idea and like, hey, why wasn't this SOP followed? Why let's everybody start pointing fingers again? So this is probably the same thing that's happening now in our national service. People will be, okay, let's focus on the safety of our, of our guys, of our men. After, after a short period of time, you know, nobody's dying, nobody's getting injured. Yeah, I know. Aya, this guy, can ah, can ah. Aya, he, he say injured ah. Aya, no lah, he trying to choking lah, what, what, what. No, same up the fucking hill. So, you know, after a while, they sort of forsake the safety of their men to achieve their goals. Because, you know, all the, all the NS units, they have certain targets they must reach ma, mm. as part of their, mm. what is it called? KPIs. KPI, yeah. So, yeah, in order to achieve their KPI, then they will start to forsake the safety lah. Then yeah. now that all these deaths are happening, people are making noise again. Suddenly, the whole world will change. No, <clears throat> but in the defense of the army, right? Throughout my uh, uh, what, twelve years, eleven years in the army, right? Like I, I think that the safety culture has become stricter and stricter and stricter. I mean, whether it's being implemented is one thing, but I see so many different things that are different. You know, ten years from my uh, active life, there are, there are all these like posters. All these ever, ever, you know, this this uh, advertisements and posters that are stuck up on every office. I see new things being uh, implemented, like a risk assessment form, which they make us fill out, by the way, even in the army. I, there's even this new thing called a, a chamber, chamber flag, flag, a yeah. flag, right? And 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 all these, all these, like the army is not. You cannot say the army is fully lax in implementing these uh, safety safety measures, right? Uh, I think with regards to firearms, they still treat it very seriously. Uh, when it comes to a lot of other things, maybe if it, I I kind of agree with uh, what John is saying, like when they don't have anything happening, they they tend to like okay, never mind, you know, let let's forego this and go to the next next step. I'm not saying this is a widespread culture. It's just it just feels that I mean, if you put boys in charge of things and you don't have someone who's really harsh on them, looking overlooking everything, this sort of shit happens, ah. Uh. Because we gotta understand, our, even even uh, having an officer take care of uh, the men, right? All these people are between the ages of eighteen and twenty-two. Yeah, they're just boys looking after yeah. boys, basically. <laughs> you know, so if unless you're telling me that you know there's a regular officer or regular warrant who actually actively looks into all these things, um, most of the time, boys being boys, they're gonna you know, fuck you. I'm gonna go sleep, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and then these are actually quite dangerous. Uh, activities that they are doing. Uh, I'm not of sure course, if any of, of our, our, our listeners who, who, even though you have been through army, maybe you might not have might not have handled uh, like let's say armor vehicles, uh, which are like like fucking 20, 20 something tons of of, of oh. like mechanized armor that can so easily take off your hand or yeah. your finger, your digit just by the sheer proximity of it being beside you. That kind of nonsense. Twenty tons or more. Right, and then they also operate in adverse conditions. So, for example, when uh, when I was in, I was in Wallaby, Exercise Wallaby, uh, there was this incident where uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this because we've kept this under wraps. So basically, right, uh, it was a nighttime drill. And armor armor vehicles they do drills, and then they they practice like um like if let's say you spot an enemy, you might have to advance, you might have to retreat, and then you do this very quickly, and it's in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, when you move backwards, there's not much your night vision can help you. And it's not like people use night vision that much anyway. So the, the vehicle that my friends were in, uh, they, they disappeared into a gully. They just grrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
the injuries that happen in the army because we look at deaths a lot, mm. right? When things, when people die, then suddenly everyone wakes up their fucking idea. But actually, injuries are way more common uh, in terms of really severe type of mm. life lifelong yeah lifelong, lifelong injuries, injuries. Mm. so for example i've heard of stories of uh you know in in artillery right to to we have to load the ammunition into the chamber then we have a a bridge that closes the chamber and the bridge right is basically a giant nut that locks into place it's like this one ton nut that that uh lock <laughs> yeah uh stop your filthy thought guys all right so it, it has is it's actually a, an incredibly dangerous piece of equipment moving uh, with moving parts. Mm. And my understanding is that some guy actually got his hand caught in the bridge once and when the nut turns, mm. it completely like crushed his hand. Like his fingers Fuck. are just mangled beyond recognition. Uh, one of my sergeants who witnessed the thing said that he never, he, he saw the whole thing. He said he never wants to eat chicken wing again because it just, reminds, it just reminds him of that incident. So this sort of thing I also... If it's quite underreported, actually. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah mm, definitely. Like no, almost, there's almost no media coverage on things like this happening. And then, you know, it just sort of like gets swept under the blanket and uh, swept under the rug. People, I mean, if this kind of thing were also to be reported more often, right, do you think that we will have like better safety standards and more reach? Like once it's reached public scrutiny mm. and people un- and know that, hey, what the fuck, man, I'm sending my kid to this two year stint. And then this guy comes out now mangled and, and, and crippled for life. Like, what on earth, man? I, I think uh, one of the probably pushbacks if we, if we report every single, or rather if we make public every single one of these uh, even non-life-threatening accidents, what happened is the, a lot of parents will probably lean more towards the abolish national service. They'll never do you know? that. The country will They'll never do that, that precisely. So I think, I think the uh, abolishing NS, I mean comes from a well-intentioned place, but I don't, I don't think they understand fully why... The implication need. of that will just be too terrifying. Yeah. I think NS is a necessary thing. I wouldn't even call it evil, I just call it a necessary thing. Mm. And that it's just absolutely important for... Like, it's not even for us to go into war. It's just to make the enemy think twice before yeah. trying to come in and take our mm. shit. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like, if, I, the, if the cost of doing things outweigh the cost of doing nothing, then you know, then they will do things, right? But if doing nothing is more profitable, then they'll do nothing. This is, this is the way that humans have organized yeah, themselves. Unfortunately so, yeah. yeah. I, I hate, to, I, you know, I fucking hate to agree with you guys on this, but you know what? I, <laughs> I agree 100%, and despite all the time that I've lost in army, <clears throat> how much I hate army, hey, right now I, I can, I can quite, quite very confidently use not just a weapon, but a variety of weapons, mm. all the way from small arms to rifles to explosives, all the way to heavy machine guns and, and uh, rocket launchers, anti-tank weapons. I'm actually, <laughs> actually quite trained in a lot of things. Yeah. And I do feel confident to, 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 to fuck somebody up if they want to fuck us up, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's quite important to, to have the kind of knowledge, even though I, I beg and plead that I will never use it. I mean, we should, we should all, you know, ne- hopefully never have to use it. Okay, but I mean, this is a moot point because all of us as much as I dislike it, we agree that NS is important. But do parents, do people who do not go into NS, are they like fully aware of how dangerous this profession actually is, yeah, you see? I think that's because, one Because of what John was talking about is now, a nut, yeah. a moving mechanism in a machinery, mm. right, can take away your hand just like that if you're not careful. Yeah. Right? Even your rifle can take away your finger if you're not careful. And I'm not yes. even talking about a loaded rifle. Yes. You put your finger in the wrong place, something will break. Yeah. It's, just, it's just how the mechanism works. You know what I mean? And, and in armor, this is magnified, you know, 10 times, 20 times because the vehicle, the fucking bionics, or in my case, the M13, is nothing but moving parts that are one ton and above. I'll right? have to say, I feel very fortunate being an infantryman because, I mean, then you're in armor and, you know, John, you're in Ati. You, know, you guys work with really heavy stuff. And I've got friends in Ati. This is an incident. Um, my friend in Ati, he's the... I think he's the driver. He's the guy who closes the ram on the FH. Or oh, the APU driver. Yeah. yeah. So he's the driver. He closes the ram the, before, before it loads the round, right? Before it loads the, the charge. So there was this one time he didn't hear properly. He thought he heard close the ram. He pre- punched the button. Mm-hmm. And then his sergeant's arm was still in the ram. 
Oh shit! Yeah. What What happened? Man? So he he was uh, I mean he he went through a court martial, but they found him not guilty. So he the there was no charge against him. What happened to the sergeant's arm? The sergeant's arm was broken in several places. It took a long time to heal, but he kept the arm. Oh, that's actually quite fortunate. Yeah, that's very fortunate. <laughs> that's very fortunate. You know, so so I mean, I've heard stories from Armour and Ati, and I know for a fact that I'm, although I'm just a grunt carrying a rifle with a you know a 20, 30 kg. Backpack. Jerry, you're not much of a grunt. I I, I know. Uh, you're not really much of a grunt. Jerry has got very specialized knowledge. Jerry's a medic. I'm a medic, but I'm also you know I'm also with the battalion. I'm also with the platoons whenever they need it. So, I feel. To to be fair, I mean, I've always held this uh, notion that being an infantryman is a lot more a lot fortunate more fortunate than being an artillery or being a armor, armor infantry or armor you know driver. I guess, I guess, I yeah, guess, I guess. Because we don't have to deal. The, the, what's the heaviest thing we have to deal with? A five ton, you know, truck. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, still a heavy fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think accidents can happen to people in all combat vocations now. To be yeah, honest. it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I mean, <clears> even in in CISPEC, um. Dude, I've seen people getting injured with chunkles. There's, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> yeah, as long as it's heavy, as long as it, you know... I've seen people fall into barbed wire and then, then they struggle. Yeah, that's the yeah. worst thing. Yeah, that's the worst thing. You just lie there and call for help. Yeah, so... <laughs> it, <laughs> no, seriously, that's... You, the more you struggle, the more you tangle, you, the entangle you get. So, okay, okay. So, that's, that's a good point. I guess if, if uh, uh, all non-serving people know about like all these little... Tiny little dangers that, you know, we will not cause <clears throat> death immediately, but you know they will, they will take you out. Uh, they will not. Uh, your your arm cannot be used for the next three years. These kind of things. Mm. Uh, wasn't there? What do you? Didn't the guy, uh, the guardsman, uh, mention it in that letter? So after the guardsman's death uh, mm. on heat exhaustion, I think it was the the second death to happen before this. Uh, a guardsman wrote an anonymous guardsman yeah. wrote a letter. Uh, to the public and he released it on Facebook is that it? Yeah he released it on Facebook and I think he he was uh, pretty harsh on his I wouldn't say harsh like, but I guess uh, he was he was honest mm. in, in a way because uh, he was basically saying that his officers and um, the NCOs didn't really take good care of the men um, they were pushing men forward to training despite the fact that you know a lot of them were on a Tembi uh, so a Tembi is basically your light duties, right? You, the, basically, the ammo saying you are sick, but you're not sick enough to warrant a whole day in bed so you can go help out. And I, I don't know about you guys, I've been on a Tempe a few times during training, and you don't really get to rest. You are manning water points, you are carrying yeah. shit. Right. Tempe is one of the worst things. Yeah, it's, it's like, correct, you know, because you're actually genuinely sick, but you still have to do shit. Correct, correct. It, it's like you all rather. Those, all the saikang, and then people just like abuse you all the yeah. time. Yeah, you'd rather be fully sick so you can go and do a 10 bang or go to sick bay or you try to get a, you know, a full healthy status so you can go and chong. Actually, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, actually, yeah, what, what, what happened, uh, I think I remember this uh, quite, quite well. Uh, and suspect a 10B was a status that never seemed to exist. Like, for example, mm. uh, one of the people that I saw in Suspect, uh, he's actually very famous now. His name is Ting Lun and he's like a... Fucking celebrity, yeah. Uh. Really? Yeah, he's like singing with Gigi Long, he's hosting programs. And he's a very famous individual. Our Chinese speaking and listening individuals should be able to know who this gentleman is. And he was in the same batch as me. And he was on Attend B. And because he, he was in my platoon, he was genuinely sick. Like, make no mistake, he had a fever. So they put him on Attend B status. And then he still had to do all the activities that we had to do. Only that uh, he had, like, had a, like, okay, if you're doing FBO, a full battle order march, he would just march with a cap and SBO, that kind of thing. And he's still marching. And Attendee doesn't really seem to exist where I come from, also. Yeah. So there's some. There's been some contention regarding all these minor operational and management details, uh, within the national service itself. That what people are saying is, okay, you have all these uh, instances, right, where you know people are still marching in attendee status and so on and so forth. Do we fundamentally have a flawed national service management system? I think. Uh, being a medic, one of one of the things I noticed is that the people who Cao Keng really fuck up the system. When you have people who are trying to, uh, you know, trying to fake their way out of a situation, like, hey, today I don't want to do SOC, I go and Cao Keng. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, there's no benefit of the doubt given anymore. Yeah. Right. I mean, we we just sort of assume 
almost immediately that this guy is just trying to talking mm. no matter what mm. right mm. right and sometimes uh, I remember once I had pretty high fever and I was in the MO's office and then the MO actually had to drag my sergeant in because MO wanted to ask my sergeant is he a good soldier mm. you know because mm. the, the, I think the MO is, is is not feeling super confident that I'm having a real problem mm-hmm. he just wants a second opinion from my sergeant and my sergeant mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's, he's, he's okay he's average mm-hmm. you know he's not he's not super awesome but he's not the talking and that the MO gave me a 7 day MC why the MO cannot diagnose he's a fucking doctor yeah? I, I think he just wants to be sure oh okay yeah, he just wants to be sure because uh, I was seen by another MO the, the other MO say I'm ta- I talking then he don't want to see me then <laughs> he pushed me out to another doctor okay yeah so I got like a 5 or 7 day MC which I was pretty sick, uh, so I, was, I pretty much slept for three or four days at home. Okay. The yeah. issue you guys are talking about right now is this uh, talking issue about how these people fuck it up for the rest of those healthy people. But I also want to explore the other end of the spectrum where, mm. where we ask ourselves, how much can you push somebody uh, uh, because of the, of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the very nature of the vocation? Right? Mm. I mean, mm. being a soldier is about being uh, tougher than your enemy. I and think the... Uh, there's one thing I want to touch on first. Uh, it's a funny story that I have. Okay, please. please, uh, please. That, okay, so what happened was back in my army days, there was a period of time right, where people started to find out uh, or to discover uh, that they can fake uh, a fever. Usually there's a few ways, uh, you know, they, they eat toothpaste or they eat a whole fucking block of ginger or something like that, right? <laughs> so it's actually just to make your head hot. Yeah. Right. Um, then after that, they started doing the rectal uh, thermometer thing. And they, they also found a way around that. I don't know how though, but they also found a way around that. So we actually got a, like a widespread fever that's happening, right? Within the, <laughs> within the, the camp itself. And I think our officers, right, they, they, they came up with a fairly creative way of solving this problem. So what they did was, they, uh, they, they gathered everyone. They said, okay, uh, there's, there's been a lot of illnesses that's happening, okay? Uh, and this is on a Friday. And then they're just like, oh, we're going to uh, quarantine all of y'all. Oh, okay. fuck. <laughs> and <clears throat> so we're going to take the temperature of everyone now. Okay, and then uh, if let's say this thing con- persists, right, then unfortunately, we, this is a health issue. We cannot let you out into the general public. Otherwise, you may spread your whatever illness you have. So we may have to quarantine your... Oh, this one, right, apparently has been made known to a one-star general already. So they brief us like this, right? Fucking within... <laughs> no, no. Within the next day, zero fevers. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's sick anymore. Okay, quarantine lifted. Yeah, so then no one there to play this kind of punk anymore. Like the basically it was this coordinated effort, lah. Everybody tried to talking at once, right? Then um, you know, I think the officers they they could punish the whole lot, right? Or they can threaten you with some other in some other ways, lah, in ways that, that, that is meaningful to us, which is our our book out mm. If if they do this on a Friday, they know that it's gonna have an immediate impact because Back then, in my day, it was still Saturday book out. Lah. Right, right. Yeah, so they're just like, okay, you want to play punk? We can play punk with you. Right. So, yeah. This reminds me of, of this, like our previous hawker episode where it's very tit for tat. Uh. Everybody, every soldier is looking for a means to not do their duties, and every person in charge is looking for ways to coerce you into doing your duties. But this is just life in general, right? An organism will evolve in a certain way to counter its predators, and the predator will evolve in a certain way to counter the evolution of the prey. Uh, yeah, evolutionary right? arms race. Correct. This is this is just the way that life in general is organized. So there's, there's always some sort of protagonist-antagonist type of relationship, and then we are just trying to find ways to get around each other. It, the, I think aside from Cao King, right, I if if I if I can do a correlation, I think the Cao Gang situation really only uh, hampered the uh, immediate uh, action that can be taken for Private Dave Lee, who uh, passed away due to heat exhaustion, heat stroke actually, because um, there there might have been a spate of Cao Gang or you know the the officers in in the guards unit or just. They, they just have that, you know, we got to do better than commandos or we got to do better than other infantry units. And then they just want, sh- you know, blanket, they have a blanket policy that's like, 
you know, all, all you guys who are trying to gain, uh, all, all you guys who are reporting sick or whatever are trying to gain, so we're not gonna, we're gonna, not gonna play your game. Um, but I think, what about the rest of the, the accidents that happened? Like, the, we, we got two incidents this year that happened with the bionics, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, how, one of them is in Wallaby, flipped. Mm. The other one, uh, made a high speed reverse and crushed a, a Land Rover that's nearby. So, what do you guys make of it? Is it a is it a safety culture that's you know a leadership problem? I think it's the it's most likely the KPI thing because normally how all this is organized. I don't, I'm not sure about armor, but mm-hmm. how RP is uh, organized is that we would have so after our BMT right, we will ha- we have about three months of training with the FH88, and then subsequently um, a few round of additional exercises before we go to Thailand. Mm. Then when we came back. We had another three months of training for the FH two thousand, mm-hmm. and then a few and then a few months of additional, a few rounds of additional exercises before we went to New Zealand. Then. So, the du- during the training period, right, it's all about safety, 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 right? Every we, we sort of do, do things uh, play by play, uh, according to the book. But once we reach the exercise, the, the the period, when we sort of have to meet the timing and everything, already. Mm-hmm. Most of the sh- most of this stuff, right? We just mm. throw it out the window, because in order to meet the timing, you you sort of have to go above and beyond like what the safety regulation is instituted. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are some very obvious things, lah. Like don't reverse, like when you reverse the FH, right? You have to shout reverse, 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 or something like that. Um. So if you don't shout, then you're you're gonna get into trouble. Mm. But there are some other things where you know things get forgo, things get you know lost in translation, and then. Nobody is really paying attention, and then sometimes you do it several times a day. We will set, uh, we will activate the the, uh, the gun right several mm. times a day, and I get so exhausted. I can't yeah. hear anything anymore. Yeah. Like you, you try my, my my heart is just pounding in my ears. You try to shout something at me, right? I need, huh, huh, I need to ask you like three or four times mm. before I understand what is it that you're talking about. And all this is very very crucial mm. information. Mm. So, I suppose it in one way it sort of simulates the excitement of warfare, I would say. Mm-hmm. Because when you're actually in a combat situation, this is the precisely the type of yeah. thing that's going to happen. Conversely, I don't know if there's any way that we can get around this kind of, um, like, the deaths that occur in this kind of situation. It's just, it just seems very difficult to, to, to pass out what precisely can we do other than fundamentally changing like human physiology do, do you know what I'm saying mm, 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 yeah mm, mm. I also don't know like, how, how can you strike the balance you cannot you cannot train less than optimum soldiers but then you cannot put so much uh, uh, safety standards in place where it, h- it had hinders actual operations uh, I think somehow during my time in the army the management has always found ways to try to convince you that actually both are terribly possible. You can also have like crazy standards of safety as well as achieve operational requirements. It can be done. I mean, but is this really true? I, I mean, I don't know. Is this, is this really true? How do other professional or civilian armies do this? Uh, yeah, on paper, all these pencil pusher, they can say whatever yeah. they want. Uh, but in, in actual fact, right? I mean, so many, so many things can happen. You're in this uncontrolled environment. I, I mean, I, we've taken the... I've seen one guy, right? He took the... What's it called? The post-fence hammer, is it? I think that's what it's yeah. called. If I'm not mistaken, it's a post-fence. Basically, it's just a, it's just a hollow tube with two handles. So you can side. hammer yeah. the hammer picket. like a like a like a like yeah. a ticket into mm. the ground, yeah, right? Into the ground, yes. I've seen a guy. He he took it off the, <laughs> he took it off the five tunnel, and then he swung, and mm. he hit himself in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Yeah, yeah. So no, no amount of training safety directive from that will stop that guy yeah, from beating precisely himself like in the. Here. I mean, it's fortunate that he managed to control it in a way that you know it, it didn't hit him too hard, and mm. he he it just became a funny story after that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not it's not possible for us to micromanage every situation to the point where you know we can we can somehow get everything you know to to optimize safety standard. I mean, with with regards to the two bionics, the situation, uh, I don't know what is the precise detail lah, but when tank when the tank overturn there's a tank overturn drill right yes. you ha- there's, yeah. a, there's supposed to be steps that you have to take uh, in order to, to to safeguard yourself yes and then for the other guy he reversed too fast 
and then it, it uh, crushed the Land Rover. They were probably doing a, a, a vehicle drill. Like, yeah. um, this one usually happens in ops, and then uh, the, the umpire or whatever, they will say that, oh, you're under attack, right? Yeah. So then there are, there are some things that it's very standard you have to do on a vehicle reverse in a particular yeah. way. Then maybe, you know, there was, like what you say was operational fatigue, and uh, uh, the, the, the guy who was reversing didn't check. I mean, this, it's this, also this possible that the Land Rover is not supposed to be there. To be there, you know, correct, there's correct. all this, there's all this contingency and all these safety uh, details that we don't, we're not privy to. But I suppose my point is that within the organization themselves, right, the only thing that really can be said about all of this is just vigilance. Like everybody just need to be on the ball one hundred percent of the time. Like you can't let your guard down. You and especially the men partaking the the operations themselves. Right, like you, you have to be responsible for your own safety. You have to know precisely like when to start and when to stop. And for the people who are observing, right, usually there will be some observers. Mm-hmm. They have to, they, they have to be aware of all the details that's happening, and they have to. Normally, they'll have the whistle, right? There will be some guy with the whistle. They need to, they need to just be liberal with that fucking whistle, you know. Like, don't be afraid to just stop the thing if you think that something might go wrong. I, I too had a. Had a nutting incident. <laughs> Would you like to hear it? You can cut it off if it's not relevant, whoever's editing. So what happened was that I was doing a motocross kind of event where, because uh, we scouts are trained to ride uh, bikes. So then our bike course is very different from the civilian bike course because you have to navigate certain obstacles, things like uh, rib tree trunks and like uh, tall hill, uh, tall mounds of earth and, and, and gravel and all that nonsense. So I was running the bike across this obstacle. It looked like a pair of camel's humps. And then uh, because I was just going just a tad bit too fast, uh, I lost control of my bike and I fell, right? So I, I fell in the middle of, of, a, of a jump. So then the bike landed on the ground first with its handlebars pointing up towards the sky. So my, my, my dick impaled itself on the, on the handlebars. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was, it was super painful, man. I, I, I never knew, because last time when I was young, my, I read... My butt cheeks just crashed. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Uh, it's very painful, man. Uh, when I was younger, I read this book which, which talked about uh, the, some guy getting tortured and then he, the, the phrase, the world went white with pain. I was like, what the fuck? Why would, why would pain be white? Yes. Okay, now, now I knew. <laughs> yeah. I knew. It, yeah, and I was yeah, so worried I'm, that, you know, because I mean, I, I, I treasure my family Jews quite a bit. Then I think it's not just the pain, but also the sing li zuo yong, the, you know, the, um, yeah. the anxiety of, you know, what happens if I really lose my... my my, my fruit and vegetables. So it, <laughs> it turns out that thankfully, very thankfully, uh, the doctor told me later on that um, uh, if you hit like two to three centimeters lower, that would be the end of me. Yeah, that would be the end of my, you know. My your, your, um, yeah. <laughs> Is that where your obsession with dicks come from? I don't know. I know yeah, like, I you was... almost lost them once and you're just like, oh man, now I'm going <laughs> to draw so much dicks everywhere. Yeah, but to lead back to your point though, like in retrospect, I look at it, whose fault? Is it that that happened? It's actually my fault. Uh. I, I just fucked up. Uh. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a... Okay, my friends know me. But I'm not a mechanically inept person. You know, I can, mm. I can do stuff, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've met all, all the bobo shooters. And I'm, I'm not a bobo something. Like, I, can, I can handle a bike perfectly fine. It's just that that time round, I, I rode snake eyes, man. I, I, I just fumbled, right? Then what? Whose fault is it really? It's actually my fault. Uh. I, I, I shouldn't have fucked up. Uh. Then I can't blame anybody. I can't blame the... Nobody's asking you to go fast either or anything like correct, that. Correct, correct, yeah. correct. I think sometimes uh, this kind of things, right, like like what John was saying just now, uh, everyone has to be a bit more hyper-vigilant about it. Uh, it. It does come down to the officer's mentality as well. Because I've heard this story from many years ago, from many years ago, uh, where this armoured infantry officer, they were doing a river crossing with armoured vehicles. What M113, I think. M113 is amphibious, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, so they were doing an M113 crossing, and then uh, while they were crossing halfway, one of the vehicles that was giving them problems stalled in the water and was taking on water pretty <laughs> fast. Okay, and then the, the, I think it was the, the, the PC, the platoon commander, who wanted to, who wanted to pause the, 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 the training, the river crossing training, yes. to get the safety boats to go in and get the men out, fish the men out. Right, the battalion commander was the one who says, "No, this is realistic training. You know, in in war, we'll lose something along the way. Continue." Okay. So, the PC had to for forego his men, continue the training while the safety boats just slowly make their way instead of everyone stop and see what what they can do. You know, okay. to help. 
uh, these guys all had to push forward, leave that M113 in the water, yes, uh, and wait for the safety boats instead of them like taking on the you know the drivers and the operators who were bailing out. The story I heard was uh, later on the battalion commander got stalled. Uh, he didn't promote in rank. He just well because of this incident. Yeah, because he didn't take care of his men. You you see, but but then who 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 is to say that he's making the wrong call? I I guess it de- it depends on time and place, right? Like. If this is a real, if this is a real war, then probably he would be making the right call. Like, okay, you know, just push forward. The, the assault is more important, right? But if this is during peacetime training, he should be he should be worrying about okay, whether can I get my guys out of safety and what's the what's the situation? What can we learn from this? You know, that should be part of the what the officer but is he, thinking uh, but, as well. Yeah, yes, but but what if on that spot he saw that actually the driver and the VC has already crawled out to the top of the M one three? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the like, full okay, story. Okay, then carry on. What's yeah. the what is the danger? I don't know the full story. Yeah. So, so, so the yeah. point is that we we like when when do the will the commander know how much to push ahead, how much of a risk to take, so as to train the most optimally tough soldier and still not endanger the, the actual the, soldier in peacetime. The PC is the one that's in one of the M113s as well, in the water. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, I mean, the, the battalion commander could have given the leeway to the PC to make the decision. Like, you know, hey, something is wrong, let's pause the, let's pause the uh, training and let's reset. Let's get these out, guys out to safety first. You know, but I guess the battalion commander overrode the PC's decision. This one is a, just a judgment call thing. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, the point of promoting or demoting someone right is precisely because of all this type of judgment call they make on the spot like when when things go wrong and there's no operational handbook on how precisely to solve this problem then your judgment matters in mm. this case then once upon review we have to determine what we prioritize or we pri- do we prioritize the safety or do we prioritize operational readiness so once again it's just we're just sort of circling back to this argument again right like yeah, uh, that, that's, what, that's what I don't agree that these these um these two things can be hand in hand to the point where it's perfectly synchronized. Wherever can you you either win something or you lose something, you sacrifice something and you gain something. But I mean, I don't know, man. How is I, it possible to? I think there's okay. There's always this mantra. Um, yeah, you read all the special forces, Navy SEAL books. There's always this mantra. Uh, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in combat. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I think that mantra only applies to a certain type of people. Okay, but. But they, they're basically uh, in... I don't know about... I, I guess this is a culture that we need to inculcate in Singapore as well. Not just to the NS men or to the NSF boys, but also to the greater Singaporean community. We have to realize that sending your kids to NS, uh, there is a very definite risk. Uh, every training has a definite risk. You know, you... I'm not, I'm not saying that, oh, you know, I send my boys to NS, I cry because... I may not have him back in two years. But it's very realistic to think that certain kinds of training are dangerous enough where, you know, a little little miscalculation can cost lives. Uh, I think in the 90s, there was this, the other situation where um, the helicopter... It, again, it's guards unit. It's always guards unit. I don't know why. Uh, commandos seem to have... You know, they jump out of airplanes, but they seem to have a better safety record. Or maybe they cover it up. I don't well, know. They, there was one commando incident, two thousand and three. Uh, so. uh, yeah. But it's always got. It's always yeah, seems to be guards. Seems, seems, seems to be guards. Uh. Yeah, guards seems to be pushing the limit uh, quite a lot. Maybe like, they have an inferiority complex. Right? The, <laughs> oh shit! Because the commando gets <laughs> all the glory, there. but the guards always feel like <laughs> he went there. <laughs> oh, all our audiences who are guards, please respond to John's statement. Uh, also, I want you guys to know that he's willing to take any of you on in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, uh, before I, before we continue, I actually have more respect for guards than commando. Um, <laughs> but you like th- there's definitely this undercurrent of inferiority complex when you make the comparison uh, amongst themselves. Like this is how they feel themselves. Like th- I'm not okay, okay. You can feel free to correct me, but it just seems like commando tend to get all the glory because they are always the parachuting down from some helicopter. Mm-hmm during National Day, right? And then the guards, they're just uh, marching in the parade square or whatever. So, even though pound for pound, their training is probably on par, and I think the guardsmen uh, have a slightly more important duty, in my opinion. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, there's a saying that guardsmen are underpaid commandos. Uh. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I personally feel that, because, 
Okay, the incident I was talking about uh, was in the 90s, I think, when they were rappelling down a helicopter. And then the catch that is, uh, uh, the catch that's holding on to the ropes, it didn't break. It was the one of the crewmen or the helicopter pilot himself knocked the handle, which released the ropes too early. And the crewman, one of the crewmen was able to uh, grab onto one guardsman. The other three fell to the deaths. Yeah, that was uh, that was a very major incident uh, some years back. And wait, 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 when, when did this happen? I I, I mean, I don't remember actually. Yeah, might be yeah, it yeah. might be in the early nineties, but they, it it led to a it probably was in the early nineties because that was from a uh, UH UH one H, and we don't run we don't operate UH one Hs anymore. Uh, so there was an incident where it led to a redesign of the catch that held the ropes right. for rappelling, um, from uh, Hilo operations. So. That was a that was a very big uh, hoo ha. I mean, th- this was in a time where deaths in the military were covered up pretty efficiently, mm, but they didn't. Mm. Um, that was also around a time where some artillery officer was playing around with unexploded ordnance, and yeah, that, that's a famous story. Yeah, that, that was a famous was story told, as well. Right? So yeah. imagine like a. You see an exploded round lying on the ground. It's unexploded, sorry, unexploded. You see yeah. an unexploded round lying on the ground. Do you A, signal for the exercise to stop and call Explomo, or B, gather your entire squad around it and start kicking it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was what happened, right? <laughs> it was tapping, he was tapping the unexploded motor. <laughs> Which, which actually brings me to the... Do you, do you guys mind if I start my conspiracy theory? Now? Right, right. Okay, it, brings, it, it leads, it segues very smoothly into the next, next bit. Because I want to talk a little bit about the individuals that we find in the army. Okay, so feel free for, for you guys to, to weigh in on this, okay? Because throughout my, my many years in the army, uh, I have spotted a particular type of individual. This individual is... Uh, the best way to describe him is grossly inept. And I'm talking about maybe this person is, is a great insurance salesman, he's great at doing other things, but in the form of like doing like army stuff or like simple stuff like uh like being being safe or, or not endangering your friends or being uh somewhat mechanically competent, this individual fails miserably. It could be because of a product of his parenting, or it could be a product of just him as a person himself. Right? He's, he's a normal fit guy, but he's just inept and he's careless. And he, he, he has very little imagination. I'm talking about a kind of guy who would uh, 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 not listen to instructions at a safety range because he's, he's dreaming. I'm talking about the kind of guy who would ride his motorcycle off a cliff. And you, you, think, you think this is funny. Or this, is, this is the truth. I'm talking about the kind of guy in the helo ops when the helicopter lands and you're specifically told to amplane and deplane at a certain 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. No, he will run into the rotor. I, I'm, I'm, you, you think I'm joking. I, this, these people exist. I've seen them. There are, I've there, seen them. I, I've seen them as well. There are people who really should not be... Um, yes! But they are perfectly fit. Like, yes. they are a normally perfectly fit person, right? They are like fucking past A. But you know what I'm talking about. You've seen these guys in your own time in the army. And you cannot account for them, right? And, and I'm not talking about like once in a while you fuck up because of operational fatigue, that kind of thing. No. I'm talking about consistent, aberrant behavior like this. I... I, I, I I find that these people are incredibly dangerous and should be spotted and, you know, but there's no, there's no way to describe such people. You know, you know who I'm talking about. You just, do you, or do you, or am I just imagining things? <clears throat> no, no, you're not. I have, I have one medic who is like that. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, this is nothing to do with their yeah. character. There might be uh, like a normal, you know. He's just not, it's just meant to be a soldier. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's no way to identify such people. There's no way to put them out of harm's way. No, you, you can. It's just that uh, for the sake of convenience, a lot of times units don't want to do it. Because... Then, then there's, there's this over... Com- hey, what is that? Complacency again, it, right? It's not it? complacency. It's just too much paperwork to, you know... Like, okay, let's, let's look at it this way. I, I don't want to talk about the, the guy who is directly working for me, but there's this other medic who is in a, in a platoon and he does not, he does not want to be a medic. He does not want to be a medic, but by establishment, he's still a medic. He has refused to go for any of the medic refresher causes. Uh, he doesn't want to pick out a medic bag. He doesn't want to pick out a stretcher. 
and he doesn't he doesn't want to be a medic. He's fine. He's he's actually a really good infantryman. He's really a, he's a really mm-hmm. a good soldier, mm-hmm. but he just doesn't want to be a medic, you know. And I'm like, okay, shit, you know, what am I supposed to do with this guy? Because mm. if if he is not out of the system, I mm. cannot request for another medic. Mm. And that platoon is always short of one medic because this guy doesn't want to be a medic. So he's always short of one medic and we cannot top up because on paper, he is still there. Okay. Right? So he, he he's a good soldier. He doesn't want to be a medic. Then you force him to be a medic. He's in the paperwork. Uh, he's in the administrative uh, uh, spreadsheets and everything. I cannot force him out in order to push in... And and the, the platoon commander is like, why don't you push in one of your medics? You got 12, you got 13. Like, no, but they're all better trained. They are specialized. I'm, you know, I work in the BCS, the Battalion Casualty Station, right? These guys know machines, right? They they use medical machines that are that need two more days of training. So how am I justifying that these guys come for four days of refresher training and then I put them in the infantry line? Then why didn't they waste two more days? Mm-hmm. Right, so there's this kind of things going back and forth to the point where the platoon commander just say, "Okay, we'll make two. We'll make two with one shot, one one less medic." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can raise it all the way up to the CEO level. The CEO will tell you, "I cannot do anything. Just make do," because you cannot post the guy out of the unit. And if you post the guy out of the unit, he's gonna go somewhere else, as step as a medic as well. You cannot dequalify as a medic. That's the problem. This is it's bullshit because there are there are doctors in in SAF right there are ammos in SAF medical officers in SAF who are no longer doctors in real life, and they are still ammos in SAF because SAF don't want to you know a worship of doctors they don't want to like you know a fucking stick someone uh, in there. Uh, you're jumping another topic already because this is now you know we have all moved on to bureaucratic yeah uh, it's an operational bureaucratic uh, kind of thing yeah uh, incompetence bureaucratic and administrative incompetence. Let me give you my theory on this bureaucracy thing. So, I've always maintained, right, that if you want to fight the Americans, you have a long, drawn-out war. If you want to fight the Arabs, win within the first week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay? Yeah. I mean, this one is historically proven, uh, right? Okay. The seven-day war yes, yeah, yes. with the Arab nations and then the, with the Vietnam War mm. in, uh, with America and Vietnam. So, the reason for this, right, is that uh, internally, the structure of any government organization right when it's not driven to do its purpose they'll find some other purpose so with with most of the arab nations the officers are they're usually usually the children of rich kids yeah. the rich rich people they're the elite. Are, right they're the elites yeah. and whatever so they have, so whether or not they are actually qualified for the job or not is a very different thing mm. but what happens in a drawn out war with with this with uh, maybe let's say the with egypt or with saudi arabia or whatever right all the incompetent people start getting killed and then the people who are actually few promoter, right? Those mm. are the those are the motherfuckers you got to be worried about. Yeah, mm. yeah. So with Americans, it's different. Americans mm. they are constantly at war. Like these these guys, right? They, I don't think they have ever stopped a war since the like since the They are always in some sort of conflict. Mm, mm, mm. They've um, they've been in this twenty eighteen. They've been in war for seventeen years. Yeah, something like that. Like, this mm. longest and, period of time they're at war. And they, mm. they 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 usually have a like a peacetime period that's like really really short. Yeah. So. These guys, they are constantly at war, mm-hmm. right? So they know their warfare, they know their stuff. However, the populace, right, cannot stomach <laughs> the casualties, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the populace just not able to handle it. So if you want to win against the Americans, uh, you have to just draw it out for as long as you can. Then you can, you can theoretically call it a victory, like what mm. the Vietnamese did. Mm. Uh, probably what the Iraqis are going to do and probably what the, the Afghanistan, the, Afghanis, the, the Taliban, yeah, the Taliban yeah. will probably do as well. Yeah, they, they just, just just drag it out. Like I'll just hide in my cave until, and then I'll just plant IEDs everywhere until you're just sick and tired of all the deaths. Then you just w- walk away. Mm. Yeah. So, in in terms of this kind of bureaucratic culture, is uh, systemic like, it's everywhere. No choice. One any governmental organization is will, will definitely have this kind of symptoms. So the question is, what can we do to address it? Uh, Get into war, you <laughs> know. <laughs> let's not. Yeah, a, let's not. I was waiting for a controversial statement from you, John, and you made yeah. it. You you truly made my expectations. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, we are, I, we're here in a podcast to discuss about the depths of of uh, of of servicemen in peacetime, and then what's the solution? Let's go to war. <laughs> but I, I think I think that's that's uh the un- unfortunate thing is because you are military, 
you know you know the term when the rubber hits the road right mm-hmm. uh, you you not know whether your car can make it until you take it out for a spin but we're a military you will not know whether we can make it until we go to war yeah but we don't want to go to war that's the problem yeah that's the problem so then it could be right this this cultural this uh, sorry this bureaucratic disease right that's uh-huh. inflicting basically any military organization in the world will never stop unless we go to war <laughs> yeah yeah because that that way is, that's the fastest way to, to cut out all the bullshit yeah. it's the uh, it's the fire that cleanses the disease yeah. but it cleanses everything else as well like, including your men uh. yeah because like it's it's just like as a medic we we have a saying as well you know we train we train for the skills to save lives but we hope we never have to use it why 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 can't there be a actual why isn't technology progressed to a point where we can actually simulate actual war without without an actual opponent? <laughs> Are we already doing that, right? We are already trying to do I mean, that. You, there are some video games involved, but it doesn't it still it still doesn't give you that realistic yeah. you know. And actually there's there's some concerns that, you know, if you do like this kind of VR type combat, um it will actually desensitize soldiers to like actual warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also another issue. Uh. Alright. Anyway, I think I think we've said enough on this yeah, topic. Yeah, as well. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, please let us know if you think that army is a is a safe and cozy little thing where you go there for a little chalet, have some fun and campfire and games with your friends. Yeah, for the three day, two night, you know, mm. and uh, you know, you you what was that? What was the thing? The recent field camp they have for the girls. Uh, okay, let's not bring that into into this topic. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, sorry, my bad. <laughs> It's a different thing, yeah, but yeah, it's not, it's not, ladies and gentlemen, it's not, and uh, please let us know uh, how yeah, you t- think it is not. T- tell us your solutions, tell us how we're going to fix NS, <laughs> <laughs> especially the women, I want to hear from yeah. the women. <laughs> tell me, tell me all about your operational theories that will save our boys. <laughs> hey Angie, you better, you better weigh in on the comments or so, okay, because we are like totally making fun of you now. Alright, thanks, thanks everyone, and see ya. Woo! Why we must go